Good morning, folks. Let's, uh, let's get started. Um, if this looks familiar, uh, it's because this is the exact same handout from uh, two weeks ago um, that we didn't even really start because we started talking about something different. And uh, um, we'll, we'll get to it today. And um, it's the same prayer that I used that week, too. So. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of the amazing things you have done for us today. Thank you for making it possible for all of us to gather together. Thank you for revealing your love and truth in you. We are blessed to be able to gather together and read your words. Sow your words into our hearts today so that they may grow and blossom. Help your words to take root so that, they can, so that we can follow your path in life. As we learn more of your kingdom, walk with us and help us to live in your unending love. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. So, as we make our slow journey through uh, Romans, we are chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. And uh, 4 through 6 say, Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another in him who has been raised to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God for while we were living in the flesh our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in the members in our members to bear fruit for death but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So um, as we work our way through Romans, uh, we have been really looking at this idea of the righteousness of God and how one uh, is declared righteous before God, uh, how we come to be uh, uh, right with God through Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection. And a big part of what Paul has been doing is just taking away everybody's ideas of how they become righteous. And, and in chapter 7, he's really starting to come to the point where um, he's just going to deal with this reality that in our sin we are unrighteous and we deserve death, and yet, um, and yet there is this righteousness that comes, and how, how do we live in, in this, this tension and in this relationship? And it, it says in verse 4, um, that uh, we have been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. And I just wanted to start with, with that, that thought, you know, what fruit, what fruit do we bear fruit for I God? Uh, I think it's fruits of the, uh, fruits of the Spirit. Right. It's like very amazing that God gifted us all the fruits of the Spirit, for example, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and um, self-control, so. Right. But when we hear bearing fruit for the Lord, what do we often think? More, more people. Okay. Um, so if I understood you rightly, one, one of the things that you just said is more people. So there's this evangelistic type of idea that you have to bear fruit for the Lord is to draw more people into the kingdom. Okay. What are the other ideas that uh, we often come to in terms of what does it mean to bear fruit for the Lord? Good works. Good works, absolutely. Now, 
I, I want to be really clear. Is there anything bad about helping to draw people into the kingdom of God? No. Absolutely not. Uh, is there anything bad about good works? No, no, no. no there's not. But when we start thinking about these things, a lot of times what happens when we start thinking about bearing fruit for God, it's like, okay, what do I do? Well, I brought this person in, or I shared my faith, or um, I did this kind thing, or I helped in this way or another way. Instead of thinking about this in a way that um, sees our fruits coming from what God is doing in us. And that's why I, I like you know what Mo was talking there, um, where we uh, we start to think about our fruits being rooted in uh, what the Spirit is doing in us. You know, so if you know as uh, as uh, Galatians chapter five says, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. That's going to impact the people around us. You know, as God bears fruit through us or in us, in these ways, I think that that's actually going to translate into some good works. And it's going to translate into sharing the gospel and drawing people to Jesus, or maybe better said, the Spirit drawing people to Jesus through us. You know. Can I interrupt just first? Okay, uh, I see here too, it says. Against such things there is no law. Right. I think that's very significant. I mean, this is these are not you know we're commanded to da 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 da. Right. You know that these are our choice to accept the fruits of the spirit. Um. Or, well, well. Does the apple tree make a choice to bear apples? No. No. Okay. All right. Got it. All right. But I just think that that's. That there's no law. Yeah, you know, and I, I, one of the things that Paul is really driving us to is to recognize that that this righteousness is completely and totally a gift. Now, the gift is going to impact how we live in relationship to our neighbor. The gift is going to impact you know the things that we do with our lives. You know, if you were dead and now you are alive in Christ. But don't we have to accept the gift? Do dead people accept gifts? You know, in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is one of the things that I love about the uh, the way that um, the small catechism talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. It, it, when when we talk about the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness, you know, all of that good stuff. And when Luther explains that, he, he, he starts out, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. Okay. It's something that is completely received from first to last. Now, okay. having come to faith, do we make some choices empowered by the Holy Spirit now that we've been called, gathered, and enlightened? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And, and I think that we've talked about this before, the Holy Spirit, having done His work in us to enliven faith in us, does it feel like we make a decision to accept Jesus? No, not really. We just do. 
Well, sometimes, sometimes I think yeah. people do feel like they made a decision. Yeah. Um, uh, it strikes me that C.S. Lewis did not see it that way. Um, he, he saw it as God kind of hunting him down and leaving him with no options. You know, that, you know, it was completely about God coming after him. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so when I look at uh, the, the Christian life and bearing fruit in particular in, in this context, I really want to root it in what is God doing in us so that our fruit is not just, uh, it's not something just that I do. It's a gift that God gives through me to others, but it's also a gift he gives to me. Is, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm re- rethinking my prayers for my unbelieving friends and family. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, just... I, I've mentioned before that um, uh, when it comes to how I think about theology, um, the small catechism is really extremely formative for me. And, uh, you know, maybe you remember getting this book when you were 6th, 7th grade, something like that. Or, or maybe if you went to a Lutheran school, you were introduced to this, you know, in kindergarten. You know, I... Um, I remember having to memorize parts of it in first and second grade. Um, you you know, do really well. I, I do really well with some parts of it. <laughs> there, there are parts that you know that are, are more firmly planted there than others. Um, I've also been living with it for forty-nine years, so um, <laughs> that, that matters. Um, and uh, this has become kind of the the structure for how I I look how I understand things and I will go back to those bits and pieces um, to, to help me to think about what am I reading in the, in the Bible mm-hmm. you know and it's not that the catechism is right and the Bible is wrong um, but it's I, I liken it to if you look at the Sun and you stare at the Sun you know eventually you don't really see anything the light the, you, the light is so blinding right but if you look at the moon you know normally you can really just stare at the moon right so the sun is god's word you know and it comes at us full force and sometimes it's helpful to have a a filter you know the moon to see its reflection and oh now i'm getting a better grasp of you know what's going on there and that section on uh, the Holy Spirit is one that that I have returned to over and over and over again especially in our uh, culture of individualism Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, you know it's all about me and my choices Um, and uh, uh, he leaves us powerless which I think that's exactly what Rome or what uh, Romans does um, and uh, and he leaves all of God's work in God's hands to bring salvation to us. And then the very next thing is he brings us into the community of the church. You know, so it's not, you know, I, I, I. It's I, Jesus, us. Brings us into that, that community. So um, I really like this image of the fruit tree. 
um, in, in terms of understanding what God is doing in us and through us. Um, you know, so when we think about bearing fruit, do we understand that as a statement of law or do we understand this fruit as a gift of the gospel? I think that that's where Paul is driving us, is to see these things as a gift of the gospel. Yeah. When, when I think of things that, such as law, um, it was that you have to butcher your meat in a certain way, uh -huh. and you have to take ritual baths, and all the, all those laws. But even when those laws existed, I don't think there were laws that say you may not love. <laughs> or, right. You know, these things seem that you couldn't, you couldn't legislate this. No, no, it's hard to yeah. legislate peace. Right, right. We try. <laughs> Interestingly, yeah, I think we do. Yeah. You know, even, even, and I'm not, I'm not talking about peace between nations now. I'm talking about that inter internal peace, you know. Well, Jesus said that I, you know, that he came that I should have peace, and I, I don't experience peace, and so what am I doing wrong? Well, I better do this, that, and the other thing so that I will have peace. Well, maybe part of the reason that we don't have peace sometimes is that we're trying to get it for ourselves rather than receiving it as a gift. I like that song, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that talks about our, you know, that's really kind of focused on our relationship with our neighbors. But, uh, you know, that it's a good aspiration to live at peace with one another. It talks about that in, in Ephesians. Peace be with you. Yeah. And, and yeah. it seems like these, the fruits of the Spirit, are, they're the things that have changed things in the world. Like Gandhi and yeah. Martin Luther King, that's what they used. They they couldn't do it through law. They only did it through like fruits of the spirit. I think to some degree, absolutely. Yeah. So understand the fruits of the spirit and accept accept the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. It's joy, whatever it is. Yeah, I always I'm always cautious around the word accept because there's a, a, an idea of a choice there. Um, and, and this is tricky, um, and I'm probably uh, splitting hairs. Um, but when you study something, that's what you do sometimes. Um, and uh, uh, I like the idea of, of receive, just, just receive. Receive, right. Or partake. Okay, yeah. Um, if we start to see these things as a... As a, uh, if we start to see the fruits of our lives as a uh, as a gift of the gospel, do you see how that could be more freeing? Does... I'm not sure I understand that. If we start to look at the good works that come from our lives as gifts that God has given to us, and that He works through our lives as you know for the sake of our neighbors that I think that there's a, a sense of freedom there in the way of I don't have to come up with this in order to make God happy with me. 
Yeah, Amy. It's kind of more like, ugh, I have to be patient. Ugh, I have to be kind. Yeah. Ugh, I really should be gentle. <laughs> Versus, hey, God's working in my life, and so I can be patient, kind, you know, kind of changing the perspective of how you approach it, I, I think is what yeah. And 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 when you have a moment where you actually were patient, it's not, wow, look at me. It's wow, thank you, Lord. You know, and you receive you you receive even that moment with a sense of gratitude. It, you know. That that makes good sense to me. Thank when these things happen, thank you, Lord. Because that's that's I have done that myself, you know. Yeah. Thank you for the joy I'm feeling in my heart. So I, I had a really tense phone call um, this past week, and every part of me just wanted to holler, <laughs> you know, just ball somebody out, okay? And uh, I didn't. And I was talking with my, my son about that later, and, and I said to her... Um, you were talking to your son, and I said to her... <laughs> I, I, I get distracted because people send me messages, and I, I should just throw some of this technology stuff away. So I was talking to my son afterwards, and... Uh, and basically, I said, "This is what I wanted to do," and 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 he's like, "Well, why didn't you?" And I said, "You know what? That's probably uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, because there's still part of me that wants to call that person back." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the Holy Spirit too. <laughs> yeah. No, I've kind of gone through it in my mental checklist and gone back to the scriptures. Like, nope, nope, nope. There's a difference between reacting and responding. And if you're yeah. responding to God's love, it gives you the strength to follow through on those things. Yeah, and when we're rooted in God's love, doesn't that give us a different confidence level when we're dealing with the struggles and troubles of the world? Or can't it? Maybe it's a better way to say it because, you know, as Romans 7 goes on, it's going to really hit this idea that that even though this is part of my reality, there's another part that says I'm still a sinful human being that is wrestling with, you know, wanting to have things my way as opposed to receiving the gifts that God gives to us. Um, in, in verse 5, he, he says... For while we, and I, I think we should note that uh, that first person plural, that the apostle is including himself in what we're talking about here, that while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And I was thinking about this. Um, I, I, I spend a fair amount of time talking or thinking about uh, preaching and how we communicate uh, the gospel. And uh, what, what do you think? Is it important for preachers to talk about their own need for grace? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
brings you down with us. <laughs> is there is there a danger or a weakness in doing that? That can be too much. It becomes all about the person. Yeah. Now apply that to your witness, how you share the gospel with others. Is there certainly a place to uh, to talk about your own need for grace? Can it become all about you instead of about Jesus? Yeah. How about how about sharing the gospel through like Bible studies? Yeah. Like uh, we can do like to do a Bible study. It's not have to be. Uh, like well organized or have to be like in the church we can do Bible study anywhere we want for example if we want to share the gospel to some of our friends we can just have a have a walk with them and uh, some questions and answers and ask about their curiosity and try to break down mm -hmm. the um, the different questions and like different curiosity that's how we can share the gospel and that's a very word, nice word I think this is certainly a way to do it especially yeah. if you have a group of people who are curious about what the Bible says mm -hmm. um, but I also find that uh, well how many people attend our church on a Sunday? about 130 somewhere around there yeah and how many of us are in Bible study this morning? Which is not, which is not you know, a statement of judgment. It's, it's just a recognition that there is a subset that wants to be part of something like this. And then there's another set that probably not so interested in, in having a conversation uh, you know, around God's word. Um, which, you know, and, and maybe, you know, in the case of our members, it's the format that I'm using that they're not interested, you know, but, you know, it's, that's fine. Um, but uh, you are going to have conversations with people and you're going to run into times where there's going to be opportunities to talk about Jesus. You know, and part of what I've seen in, in modern Christianity is that it becomes all about, you know, what do I get out of this? You know, what's my, what, what is the benefit? What, what is the, uh, um, you know, my story? And I'm not saying that your story doesn't matter. I am saying that at some point we have to get the focus on, on Jesus. And, uh, and that's the danger that I think that, that Mike was bringing up is that um, if, uh, if, the preacher is only talking about themselves from the pulpit. At some point, you got to get you got to get to Jesus. He's the one that matters in this whole thing. Um, and uh, it, it, so, I don't know. For my money, I do think that it, it's good sometimes for, for pastors to talk about their own need for grace. But I also think that. Um, I think that it's also important for preachers to preach in a way that I'm answering my own question here. Um, I do think that it's important for preachers to preach to people in a way that says this message is about you, that it's about the hearer, um, and not just you know, kind of.
kind of this mental idea or the, you know this you know what the what the preacher has going on. Larry, I think it's important though for <coughs> followers at some point to tie into um, somebody who's leading. Yes. So hey, oh gosh, I hadn't thought about that. We're alike in that, so then I'm more perhaps willing to listen to other things that somebody's got to say. Yeah. It's it's kind of a we're historically tied together. Okay, then then you go on from that, but you know if it's not an overindulgence, I don't. It doesn't strike me as an issue. Yeah, I think I think it's a both and. Right. You know. It seems strange to me that you would never talk about yourself, but at the same time, uh, it seems unhealthy to me that you would only talk about yourself. Um, but you, you, it's a relationship, right? You know, and so we know a little bit about each other, and uh, but ultimately, I think the pastor's job is to get this message is for you. You know. So when I speak the words of or the um, words of absolution at the beginning of the service, it's not you know our sins are forgiven because that is a true statement. Jesus died for us and our sins are forgiven. But I say to you that your sins are forgiven. I forgive you. This is for you. Um, when you come up to the Lord's Supper, the body of Christ, not for us. It is for us, but right here, the body of Christ for you, okay? And uh, I, I think that this applies in witnessing too, that we can talk about, you know, a kind of an us type of a situation, that Jesus died for us, but I think that sometimes it's good and right to say he died for you, that this salvation, this forgiveness is not just kind of generic, it's for you. You know, the, the person that I'm talking to, you know, right here in, in this particular moment. Is that? That was the epiphany for me, um, is because I had always thought it was for us, and then God revealed to me it was for me. Yeah. And that was, that was a real turning point in my faith. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about me for a second there. This is my favorite topic. Um, I remember when I was in college where this came clear to me. Um, I had a, a, a counselor of, you know, that I was work, working with. Uh, I would come over and do odd jobs for him and stuff like that. And he, was, um, he would come and he would do devotions at our dorm. So every, every dorm had a... a, a, a a faculty counselor uh, type of, of person and uh, and I remember sitting with him at one point and he just absolutely nailed me to the wall he, he figured out you know my hypocrisy and you know made it really aware that he said you know hey you are a Pharisee You're looking down your nose at everybody else and you know thinking that you are holier than thou and um, no no I'm not well, well yeah let's look at this and uh, I mean, he left me in tatters. And then he says, but Jesus died for you. And that's the first time that I remember, you know, that forgiveness was for 
me. Not just Jesus died for the world, because that's a true statement. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, and that's a good thing to proclaim, and it's a good thing to keep in mind when we look out there, and you know, it's sometimes people were like, mm, could Jesus have died for them? Yeah, he died for the whole world. He died for them too. But he died for me. And, and that is so important. And he died for you. You know, and and, and I think bring that. The reality that I was nailing one of those in his hand, kind of because it was my my, my sin was up there with him. Colossians talks about Jesus um, nailing the uh, sins to the cross yeah. and leaving them there as a public spectacle, and so I I think. Um, There's a line in one of Michael Card's songs where he says something about understanding that it was his love that held him there, not the nails. And, uh, um, you know, I want to be careful with the self-flagellation, I nailed him to the cross. Hebrews says that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and scorned its shape. He's like, all right, I love you, and in order to win you back, this is what it's going to take. I'll do it. So, you know, is Jesus uh, is Jesus depicted in the scriptures as a victim, as the Lamb of God that goes for the sins of the world? Absolutely. Um, but he's a willing victim who chooses this path in order to save us out of love. It's also Victor, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he, he has won the victory. Mm -hmm. It's his victory, and he gives it to you. Plural. So he talks about we were living in the flesh. Um, People are always both flesh and spirit. Uh, sometimes we try to separate these things, but the apostle um, uses the two parts of the whole to speak about the influence of the world and our sin. And, and so, in, in a sense, he, he makes a separation in something that is a whole in order to talk about uh, these, these two realities that are at work in us. It's not that our, our flesh is evil and our spirit is pure. Uh, we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. Um, we receive forgiveness for the sins of our spirit and our soul and for the sins of our body. It's, it's an entire uh, salvation. Um, remember that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he gives you forgiveness through the word connected to bread and wine in your mouth, right? He's actually delivering forgiveness to you there. And here on All Saints Day, it's good to remember that we believe in the resurrection of the body, right? Um, it's not that we're just uh, you know trying to shuck this mortal coil. <clears throat> And 
ascend into spiritual bliss. We are both body and spirit. But the spirit is kind of this mysterious part of us that maybe we don't recognize or we don't understand. And our bodies are this regular interaction with the world. It's our regular interface with the things that go on. And it's where we can maybe more easily see the impacts of sin. And so Paul goes with that and he talks about, you know, while you were in the flesh. And basically he's using that to say while you were in your sins. You know, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. Um, And the first sinful passion, the first uh, uh, desire that overtakes us is to be a god or to be like God, right? That's That was Genesis 3, that we at least become where we're not accountable to another. And that's, that, that's the first um, sinful thing that, that we find in, in the scriptures. And so while we were in our flesh, you know, we decided to try to put ourselves on God's throne. And so how is this passion aroused by the law? Well, at the heart of the law is the question, who is God? Remember, what is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. Good man, Sam. And I love the way the large catechism talks about this. He says, a God is that to which we look for all good and where we flee in all trouble. You know, we, 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 where do we look when we have trouble? Where do, where do we look for, for the good things in our lives? And our flesh would teach us to look at ourselves and what we need to do in order to get the things that we want. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, um, John writes that everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know, so this this is really the, uh, the the first place that we find sin in our hearts is in our rejection of, of who uh, is God in our lives. And I, there's an interesting example of this in Numbers 13 and 14. There's nothing new under the sun. So you know, when we talk about things in the New Testament, it's it's very much rooted in what we might call the Old Testament. It's it's one scripture, right? Um. So if, if you've got a Bible, uh, even on your phone or whatever, um, Numbers 13, um, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Do you remember how this story goes? He sends spies into Canaan. And uh, you know, they, they go in and, and they find all this incredible stuff they, they see uh, the, the wealth and the power and, and all of the, the good things that, uh, that God has promised to give them. And then they come back. I'm, I'm in verse 25 now of chapter 13, verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of the Israel and in the land of Parah at Kadesh, 
they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They brought back stuff with them to show how great this, this, this land was. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, just like God promised. And this is the fruit. Look at this. This is amazing. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of the Anak there. Um, these were people of great size. You know, so they were, sometimes they say there were giants in the land. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. They're, they're already saying, yeah, the place is great, but there's no way we can get in there. What are they trusting? themselves verse 30 but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it because what what does Caleb remember that they have that the Canaanites don't have they have God and his promise you know, and the men who had gone up with him said we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land they had, spied, they had spied out. Then verse 14, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Would that God had never saved us from slavery. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? And it just goes on worse, worse, worse. Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said, How long will these people despise me? This this is here because this is this is a picture of Faithlessness. They had received the promise and they weren't willing to, to, to act uh, on the promise. They trusted their sight in, instead of the promise of God. And so when we, when we think about you know, our, our passions being aroused by the law, the law is all of those things. It just makes sense to us. All of those things, you know, this is how the world works. And they looked and they saw the laws of strength 
and the laws of power and the laws of, of military might and it aroused their fear to, to protect themselves and to ultimately disobey God's command for them, God's promise for them. He says that our sinful passions were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And I want you to note the contrast that in verse 4 it says you were raised, raised from the dead, right? Uh, That you might bear fruit for God. And here in verse 5 we find him saying that sin's purpose for you is that you are to bear fruit for death. And so when we say that the Christian faith is a matter of life and death, you know, that you know, or death and life, uh, that is very much the picture that we're being presented here. And what we're dealing with is, uh, it's a kind of a, a paradox of the Christian life and that we call the, the now not yet. So, have you died? No. No? Yes, no. Yes, no? Which Baptism. is it? Depending on which, not bodily, I mean, spiritually, yes, a thousand times. In the spiritual warfare, a million times. Rose again, every time I die, and I feel like I came to Jesus, he rose me again. So yeah, in the spiritual warfare, a thousand times I died, and a thousand times I rose again. Because of what Jesus has done for you. So, as Nancy said just a moment ago, I died in baptism. That's Romans 6, right? Yeah. You know, all of us who are baptized into Christ are baptized into his death. Jesus gives us his death. I have died. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, I live. Yep. My body, you know, you know, this physical life, I haven't died. But in this, this spiritual reality, you know, yeah, I have died. Have you been raised? Yeah, in a sense. But do you have your new and physical glorified body yet? No. No. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> this is as good as it gets. Oh. <laughs> yeah, not yet. Not yet. But is your death in Christ certain? Is it really yours? Did Jesus really give you his death in baptism? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I can say I have died. Yes. Mm-hmm. And has he raised you to a new life? Absolutely. Yes. So can you say that the resurrection is mine and I am alive in Christ? Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. And even though I die, yet shall I live? Yes. Yep. I'm the resurrection of yes. life even though we die. Yeah, you got it, Sam. Mm-hmm. You got it. And so you have eternal life now. Right? Mm-hmm. But how many of us here are still going to die? Exactly. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about this now, not yet. Are God's promises and is his salvation ours now? Mm-hmm. Yes. Have we received all of his promises in full yet? Mm-hmm. No. no. Did the promised land belong to the Israelites when those Canaanite, when those spies came back and said, oh, the land is too difficult for us to take? It was. It was theirs. It was theirs. 
And because they didn't trust the promise, they did not end up in the land. All of the adults that were there, um, they were sent back out to, to wander for 40 years, right? Until that generation passed away and a new generation came up. And uh, it's, it's interesting that of all the adults that were there, only two of them, Caleb and, Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, came into the promised land 40 years later. Because they held on to the promise. Yeah. Now, it's probably worth remembering that they didn't just waltz in and, uh, you know, and everybody, like, you know, just disappeared. There was battle, there was struggle. Um, it, it talks about how uh, Caleb, his eyes were not diminished and his strength was not um, lacking as he went in to take. The, the, the land that was promised to him and to his family. But his going forward was rooted in the fact that God had promised. And I think that that, I think that informs how we live in this world, you know, which means, I mean, first of all, it means we need to know what God has actually promised us, right? He, it doesn't mean that everything is going to be peaches and cream in, in this life pretty sure that Jesus said in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world you know and so we're going to you know we're going to struggle with this we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow it's going to be uncomfortable it's going to be difficult sometimes but the the discomfort and the difficulty do not negate the promise and, and so you know we, we can press on and, and live in, in the hope that Jesus has actually given us eternal life. He has raised us from the dead. And one day, our body's going to catch up to what he's already doing in us. So our physical reality is going to match with the spiritual reality um, of what he's doing in us and through us, the fruit that he is uh, bringing forth in us. So when, when Paul talks about members... What, what's he talking about there? How did he say that? In verse 5, um, uh, while you were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in, the, in our members to bear fruit for death. What does he mean by members? Believers. Okay, that I... I think that there's something to think about there in terms of the church because we talk about members of the church. But I think he, I think he's more specifically talking about the body uh, in, in this part that um, that there is sin at work in in our members. But I also think that there is room to talk about um, sinful passions at work in our members in the church. You know, when we look at what happens in the church, do we always have complete agreement and uh, and harmony in all things under God's promises? No, we don't. Why not? Because we're a collection of sinners. sinners. Yeah, we're forgiven. We're redeemed. Christ is at work. He's bearing fruit in us. And yet, 
boy, oh boy. You know, the, the disagreements and, you know, the, the, the things that lead us into sinful passions are all over the place, aren't they? And then, you know, I, I think that there's some room for, you know, how do, we, how do we deal with that? You know, how do we bear with one another in love while still boldly speaking the truth to one another? And all of those, those kinds of things that, we, you know, we pray for the Spirit's wisdom. Um, and so how else does, uh, does sin bear fruit for death? Well, the wage of sin is death. And uh, I think it's worth thinking about uh, what kinds of sin bring death in the church. Taking your eyes off the cross. Yeah. When, when something other than Jesus becomes our focus. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. My way or the highway. Yeah, yeah. Be your own God. From... Yeah, be your own God, our own authority. Mm -hmm. um, not caring for children. What's that? Not caring for children. Not caring for children. Not caring for people in general. Yeah. You know, um, so... In the scriptures, it talks about Jesus um, being the head of the body. And so if you lose Jesus, it means you lose your head. And if the French Revolution teaches us anything, if you lose your head, you're dead. dead. And, uh, uh, and we often will talk about this teaching of justification, that we have forgiveness of sins through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as the heart of the Christian faith. And if you lose your heart, you're dead. dead. Now, can a person live without an arm? Yes. Or a leg? Yes. Part of their intestines? Yes. A lung? Yes. A kidney? Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of room to look at our fellow Christians and to recognize, boy, you're missing some important parts, but you're still alive in Jesus. But if you lose Christ, you lose your head, and if you lose the forgiveness of sins, you lose your heart, and then the church is dead. And uh, verse 6 starts out with the word, but. And I would like to submit to you that that but is beautiful. <laughs> because it indicates a change. You know, Butts are ugly when it comes to apologies and, and confessions. Um, you know, I'm really sorry, but I wouldn't have done it if you know, you know, you had not done whatever. Um, my dad had a, a, a saying that he liked that everything before the butt is baloney sausage. <laughs> Uh, except he did not say bologna sausage. He said other words that started with those same letters. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's an important principle for us when we think about our confessions, when we think about our apologies. Yeah, um, our confessions and absolutions. Yes, right. Um, 
And when speaking of the different status Jesus has given us, the but is good news, and it's an indication of the salvation that he's provided for us. But now we are released, and that released is a passive verb. It is that God has let us go. Um, if it were active, uh, this word could mean uh, abolished, nullified. Uh, it indicates that some things or someone's power is no longer there. And what we are released from is the law. You're, you're released from its demands in order to satisfy God's wrath. Um, now, are you released from the law in the sense that you never have to do good or right again? Of course not. You have a new life. What you're released from are the demands and the condemnation. Now those good works are to flow like fruit from the fruits of the Spirit. And then having died to that which held us captive, um, captive to condemnation, to accusation, and to the, the endless demands to perform perfectly, we can serve in a new way, in the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. And this new way of the Spirit flows from His power, flows like you know, receiving fruit, receiving a gift, uh, and, and that's different from the written code in the sense that it lays the burden on you. And that... And this is really describing what we call the law gospel dynamic, which is central to our worship, to our preaching, and even our living, where we recognize this is where God speaks and condemns our sin, but this is where he speaks and, and, and comforts us and brings salvation to us. So um, the last page here is one of my absolute favorite hymns. It is uh, um, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. And uh, I, I like poetry, and our, our hymnody is largely poetry. Um, if you go back to the old, old uh, hymns, a lot of them are almost like sermons for us in poetic form. And uh, I would uh, leave this for you uh, to meditate on, to think about what it means that God's salvation has come uh, to us, but also... You know, what Jesus did to bring the salvation to you. All right. Happy All Saints Day, everybody. And uh, if you haven't gone to church yet, go to church. And uh, if not, uh, if you've already gone, have a great day. You could come to church again. You know, I'll, I'll preach a similar sermon.